Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, We're back, and um, well, this is going to be our final message in the series. Uh, We've traveled quite a bit in the series, covered a lot of ground. You could actually cover twice as much ground if, uh, if it was more of a, just a Bible study, midweek kind of thing. But we're finishing up now, and uh, the message is, is called a Heaven is Not the End Game because um, we preachers are probably the most at fault for making people think that heaven is the end result, the end uh, destination. It's not. Uh, heaven is a temporary situation. Uh, there's a lot more that happens after that, and uh, we left off last week with the second coming of Christ, the final bold judgments, and I want to begin today as I finish this series. Uh, once again, I'm a movie guy. You guys all know that uh, with one of my favorite movies that I waited so many years for watching one after another after another as they kept building, but the last one that came out in the Marvel series Avengers Endgame, and there was that moment at the very end when uh, when they all lined up and all the good guys are on one side and, and Dr. Strange brought them all back through those portals and everything and, and there was the Marvel Universe and on the other side was Thanos and his evil horde and it was good versus evil and this was the fight to help bring back and redeem the universe because half the people had been killed and vanquished and some of the close friends of the Marvel Universe had been and there was that one moment... We waited years for the moment when uh, Captain America's standing there and everybody's lined up for this battle. And Captain America says, Avengers. And then he drops his voice down, Assemble. And man, I remember in the theater, it was like, it's on now. We've been waiting for this moment since the very first Iron Man movie. All these years have gone by, and here it is, Vanquish the Enemy. Now, there has been a theme that we have kind of tracked among many themes in Revelation, and that is, there was that question asked by the martyrs, by the followers of Christ, who had been killed for their testimony of their faith, preaching Jesus Christ, came, died, was buried, three days later rose from the dead, and they were murdered for those things. And they ask in Revelation 6, they say, when, how long before you avenge our blood? And just like the Avengers avenged the, uh, the universe and struck down and took down Thanos, There's going to come this moment in the future when Jesus Christ, in the second coming, he will avenge everything. But that's not the end of it all when he sets everything right. So I'm going to read the key verse for the series for the last time. You're watching this at home, on your phone, on your big screen, however you're watching me, maybe later on. But I want you to say it loud with me, and then when we say the tagline, say it out loud for the last time. Here we go. Romans eleven twenty five and 26. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until. 
the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. And as we've said every Sunday, there's a moment in time when the fullness of the Gentiles, the church age ends. The age we live in now. When the very last person in this church age, wherever they are, whoever they are, places their faith in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, that's when the rapture of the church age, the church people takes place. The seven-year tribulation begins. And now we're at the end of it now in this series. Our tagline has been, it's the call you don't want to miss. Say that at home. It's the call you don't want to miss. You don't want to miss these things. You don't want to be a person on the outside looking in because your eternity depends on it. And so we brought forth this series to be able to teach you, for us to share with others. Now, I want to begin today by reading Revelation chapter 19. This is the New Testament description of Jesus Christ coming back in the second coming. I'm going to read verses 11 through 16, and then after that, we're going to go through chapter 20 selected verses, and I'm going to give you four things today, actually hit into chapter 21, a few verses there also, but four things that are important to know in that heaven is not the end game. Now, let me read 11 through 16 of Revelation 19. And I saw heaven open. Can you imagine what John the Revelator, he sees heaven open. And behold, a white horse. Now this is the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. In Revelation 6, we saw the false Messiah, the Antichrist, the mimic, the poser, riding a white horse. And he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. That's important that God is faithful and he's always been faithful to us and God is true. Jesus is true. He's the way, the truth, and the life. It's been a passion of mine for 41 years uh, this week. It was 41 years for me, follower of Christ, to seek out the truth of God's word. It's something that everybody should be seeking out in this day and age, especially when the culture is so distorted in its thinking, we need to be seekers of truth. Truth is your most important commodity because the truth sets free. The truth exposes lies and people believe lies and people put lies out there coming at you from which direction. It says in righteousness he judges and wages war. In any conflict, Jesus always... Uh, is motivated by righteousness. He does it the right way. His eyes are a flame of fire. That's so he can burn through the false facades of people and on the day of what's called the Bema Seat, when Christians are judged for their works, not for your saved, but for their works, he his eyes will burn out all the wood, hay, stubble of works and all the gold, silver, precious metal of our good works will stay. In other words... It's not good works that we should be doing, it's God works we should be doing, which eventually become good works. And that's what God looks at, Christian. <clears throat> and on his head are many diadems, he has many crowns. 
And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. That's interesting because the name of God, he has many names, but they are his character. And so now we begin to understand in heaven, in eternity, another character of God. Because right now we see in a mirror dimly, but one day, face to face. And we'll understand more of God. Because there's much more to understand of God that we do not know right now. Verse 13, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Makes sense, because he shed his blood on the cross. And the father puts the full robe on his boy, the prodigal son, coming home and washes him clean. We wear the robe of righteousness. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And his name is called the Word of God. That's perfect too because Jesus, it spoke of him and it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word, which is logical now with the Scriptures as you correlate the Scriptures because in the beginning in Genesis, it says, And God said, and then he said, let there be light. God spoke his word. God spoke his word, everything into existence. The word of God, very important. And the armies which are in heaven, that's us, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. We were were white and clean because we've been purified. We've been cleansed. Our sins have been washed away. And they are washed away right now, follower of Christ. You are justified. You are declared innocent. That speaks of the purity of Christ that we wear upon our lives. I love this section. Verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. Now wait a minute. From his mouth? Yes, But remember, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. From his mouth comes the sword. It's the word of God. It's the truth of God. It's the words coming out of him that are powerful enough to create the universe and everything that we see and experience. So that with it he may strike down the nations and rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God. We said last Sunday, that's Armageddon, that valley, 200 miles, four feet deep of carnage. He treads on it like a wine press. And on his robe, and on his thigh, he has a name written. When you rode a horse back then, you could see the thigh exposed. And on that thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. And we know that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for your word, this truth. And we need to all be seekers of truth and studiers of your word, which is the truth. Because there are too many lies to believe. There are too many things turned sideways. And so, God, we thank you that you've given us the truth. And we can live in that truth. And we can grow in that truth. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say, amen. I'm going to give you four things. Here we go. Number one, the first thing we're going to see is Satan is restrained. And aren't you glad? 20, chapter 20, verse 1 and 2 says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Let me point out some things here, first off. It says he saw an angel. 
an unnamed angel. Not Gabriel, not Michael. It's almost like God said, uh, oh, let me pick somebody here to go bind up Satan. In other words, Satan is not that tough. Satan is not God's equal. Never forget that. If you go back and read Isaiah chapter 14, and you see the chapter on Satan and his fall, Lucifer and his fall becoming Satan, you find as you go along in verse 16, it's an amazing verse. It says that when we see Satan for who he when we see him, literally see him, we're going to say things like this. You're the one who shook the nations. You're the one who made the earth tremble. We're going to be shocked that this, this is him. Because we always built him up so big in our heads like he's this antithesis of God, that he's the opposite of God. No, he's not. God sends, he's like, you, you know, go, go bind up Satan. You know, you, I know you've had the flu, angel, but go bind him. We just got to get somebody to go bind him. But you know what? That's how powerful God is in comparison to Satan. Satan is not his equal. Now, <clears throat> let, me, let, let me say what's going on here. God takes him and puts Satan in a holding tank for a thousand years, drops him in the abyss, which is the bottomless pit. There are angels there right now. Fallen angels, demons, in Genesis 6, those have been put there in the abyss. We find that in Jude chapter 1, only chapter verse 6. We find angels already there, these fallen angels. They've been there for a long time. When Jesus was going to cast the legion of demons out of the man there in the Gerasenes, the demon said, let us run into the pigs. Do not cast us into the abyss. They don't want to go there because they cannot wreak havoc there. But I want to show you something that's interesting. In there, we find four descriptions of Satan himself. First, he's the dragon. What is the dragon? He's a serpent on steroids, okay? Best way to describe him. And then it says, the serpent of old. Who's that? Well, go back to Genesis 3. The serpent that deceived Eve. He's a liar. And then it says, the devil. What does the word devil mean? We say, well, it's the devil's after me. Well, what it means is the accuser, the slanderer. He accuses you day and night, all day long. And then it says Satan. What does the word Satan mean? It means adversary. Now think about that. The person who has been behind every mind game that you have battled, every lie that's been pumped into your head, pumped in your head, either straight in your head from him or through television, media, everything else. Every lie that someone's ever told you that just wasn't true about you. Every accusation. You know the accusations, Christians? Oh, you, you sinned yesterday. You did that. You, you think God really loves you? Are you not a Christian anymore? Satan accuses you and accuses you. All the mind games. And adversary, he's out to get you. All of that, over, done, gone. Can you say hallelujah at home? Can you say it out loud that you never have to worry about that stuff again? And then verse 3 says this. And he threw him into the abyss, yay, and shut it and sealed it. You're in, we close the door, we put the seal over it, you're done, over him, so that he would not deceive the nations any longer. But wait a minute. Until the thousand years were completed. 
After these things, he must be released for a short time. What? Huh? Satan's going to be bound for a thousand years and then they're going to let him go? Why? Well, I'm going to answer that in a little bit, but not yet. But I want you to imagine. When we come back to earth at the end of the tribulation and the second coming, we're coming back to an earth that looks just like this. But that's not the end. But when we come back to earth that looks just like this, Satan is bound. Jesus will walk the earth himself. Can you imagine a world of no drugs, of no broken families, of no disease? Can you imagine a world where women can walk to the car at night and not be afraid? Can you imagine the world of no more lying, no more cheating? Can you imagine a world of righteousness, no more bullying, no more cyberbullying, <clears throat> no more kids growing up without dads, abandoned by a dad or a mom or both? But let me delve into the Christian world now. Can you imagine a world where Christians don't hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness anymore? Let me talk to you Christians. We have a bad habit because we always talk about the sin out there. What about the sin in here? What about the sin in us? You hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness, you're no different than out there. No different. God doesn't give classifications of sin. It's all the same. Can you imagine a world where everything is like that? Everything is great. Now, you have to think about a few things as we go along. I'm going to set you up on this stuff. If anyone tries to do anything that's wrong, who's going to stop? Guess who? It's us Christians. We're the enforcers in the thousand-year reign. Oh, yes, we are. We'll, we'll dig into that a little bit more in a second. If anyone tries to commit an evil act, well, guess what? Mr. Dr. Evil is gone, Satan is gone. So the question would be, why would anyone try to commit an evil act? Satan is gone. I'll answer that later on also. But hold on to that question in your mind. Let me go to point two, and that's this. Jesus will physically reign on earth. Yes, he will. He will walk this earth. Now watch this. I'm going to answer the questions. Revelation 20, verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus. These were martyrs, people killed for the testimony of Jesus. And because of the word of God, because they held true to God's word, no matter all the lies out there. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and not received the mark... On their forehead, these are people that died in the tribulation period who knew not to take the mark, but to put faith in Christ. And on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. In this thousand year reign, we will reign with Christ. So at the end of the tribulation, when it all ends, the second coming happens, 
the thousand-year reign begins, Jesus will physically be walking the earth. Can you imagine on a somewhat regular basis as Jesus travels the earth or whatever he does, every so often you see him, you go, hey, Jesus, what's up? Or maybe he looks at you and goes, hey, Jim, what's up? I go, right back at you, Jesus. Or something like that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Jesus driving around in a truck? I imagine he has to drive a truck. I drive a truck. Can you imagine Jesus hanging out with you? Can you imagine? Man, that's going to be something. Now let me tell you some cool stuff that you need to think about. Or maybe you never thought about. There's two things that are going to change in the millennium. And there, there are many more. But I'm going to give you two. The first one is humans will actually get along. Humans are going to get along with each other. No, not me and my family members who are Christian. No, you're all going to get along. Don't Trust me. Watch what Isaiah 2 and verse 4 says. It says, And he will judge between the nations. And will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. And never again will they learn war. Isn't that something? Never again. You know, we talked about early on in the series that Jesus said in the end days, that it would be nation against nation. The Greek word is ethnos, ethnicity against ethnicity. And we've been seeing that throughout the centuries. We're seeing it today. Now, I don't think most people buy into it, but we're seeing it today. But no more will ethnos be against ethnos. And let me tell you something again in case you forgot. The culture's going to tell you that all these different races are against each other. That's a lie. I have pursued truth for 41 years, and I have a Bible worldview. Christian, you need a Bible worldview, not a cultural worldview. Acts 17.26 says that God made from one all the nations. We're one race, the human race. We are different ethnicities. Never, ever forget that. Now, in this thousand-year reign, there may be conflicts among people, but they will quickly be put down. <clears throat> now, who's going to put it down? Jesus or us Christians. Now you're, now you're confusing me. I'll get there. In Luke 19, 11 through 27, it talks about people who did these God works for God, these Christians. They will be put in charge, given authority over cities. In the millennial reign, depending on what you do in this life right now for God as a Christian, are you doing God works or just what you want to do? That will be your level of authority in the millennial reign. I think I'm going to be Marshall Jim in the millennial reign. But we will be the ones who put down 
any type of conflict whatsoever. And I like that. I like the fact that no one will be able to go ethnos against ethnos. That if anyone tries to do anything wrong, we slam it down right away. It's just not going to happen. Humans will get along. The second thing I want to point out to you is a fun one. Animals will get along. Now watch Isaiah 11, 6, 7, and 8. Now check this out. It says, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. That don't happen today. And the leopard will lie down with the young goat. That ain't happening today either. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. That surely doesn't happen. And a little boy will lead them. Watch this. Also, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like an ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. <laughs> what, what, what is that talking about? All the dangerous animals in the world right now, all going to get along again one day. My granddaughter, Willa, who's a year old, she'll be able to, if it happened right now, she could hang out with the grizzly bears, the polar bears, and swim with the alligators. I don't know if you saw that video uh, a couple weeks ago about the hikers in Mexico. You see that video? If you haven't, you got to look at it. It's really interesting. A black bear comes up. And we have black bears here in the high Sierras. Stood up right next to her, and they froze because they know, don't be making any fast movements. Stood up right, I mean, right there, put his paw on her. And they're about, you know, black bears stand up as easy, five and a half feet, five, ten, something like that. And it's weird to see him stand up. She froze. But not enough because she took a selfie with herself and the bear. She did it. You can look it up online. You can watch the video because somebody else is videoing her. She takes a selfie. And she stands there with him. She's frozen. He's frozen. Then he finally backs down, paws at her a bit, and he leaves, and the hikers take off. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> In the millennial reign, you can take all the bear selfies you want. You could take all the lion selfies you want. There'll be no lion or country safari. You go out there and hang out with them. It's going to be interesting times. You can have a bear as your pet at home. Sleep in the bed with you like you have your pets. Your kids won't need stuffed animals. They'll have the real animals. It will just be so interesting. It will be the way it was back in the garden before sin came into the world. I can't wait to see something like that, my friend. The third thing is this, and here's the bad part, but I'm going to give you the reasoning so you understand. Satan will be loosed again. Oh, Now, watch this. Verse 7, 8, and 9 says, When the thousand years are completed, so the thousand years end, Satan will be released from his prison. What? Yeah, he's going to be let go. And will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog, if you know a little bit about your Bible, you've heard the terms before in Ezekiel. 
to gather them together for war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. A lot of people. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, that's Jerusalem. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Okay, what in the world is going on here? Okay, okay. <clears throat> Gog and Magog is just symbolic for, in this particular text, for the enemies of God, for the rebellious against God. But the question is going to be this. Why let Satan go after a thousand years? Well, to answer the question, you've got to ask another question. Who are the people rebelling against God in this thousand-year reign? Well, you forgot our title. Heaven is not the end game. It's not the end game. We're coming to the end game now. Now, let me explain it. Why are there people rebelling against God at the end of the thousand-year reign? Because there will be people, there will be some who lived through the great seven-year tribulation. They escaped the mark. They never gave their life to Christ. They hid out in this world because there's plenty of places to hide. And at Christ couldn't hunt them all down. But they will survive. Those people during the thousand years, it looks just like it is right now, they will continue like we're doing now. They will have children. Their children will have children. This earth will be populated as much as populated could be in 1,000 years. And all those people, of those people, they must make a decision for Jesus Christ because they never made a decision. And so now Satan will be loosed. Because you have to have an option. You have to have a, a right or wrong to choose. It's, it's got to be there. And they're going to choose evil. They're going to choose Satan's way. Now i got to say something. I want you to think about this. This is why you need to pursue truth. If you think about it, these people have been living in the perfect environment for a thousand years. Did it change them? No. One of the cultural lies right now is that, oh, it's environment. It's environment. That's why people are the way they are. Maybe that much is environment. The problem here is spelled out clear. It's the human heart. If you go down the cultural lie and say, oh, it's the environment that made them do that, it's the environment, then you know what? Then you better release every murderer, rapist, every in prison. Let them all go and go arrest their parents, their neighbors, their boss, and their teachers because that was their environment. Oh, Jim, that's ludicrous. You're absolutely right. It's not the environment. It's the heart. These people had a thousand years of good environment and it didn't change them. 
It's the heart. Never forget it. That's your biblical world view right there that you better keep. And don't listen to all the propaganda out there that tries to sway that. It's the heart. Now, <clears throat> at this moment in time, what happens here after they are all slain? Antichrist, the false prophet, have been in the lake of fire and brimstone already. They've already been there. Satan will now be taken. And he will be cast in the lake of fire and brimstone forever and ever. He's done. It's over. He'll never come out again. God used that little pawn for a moment. All people throughout all ages now will be brought before the white throne judgment. Every person who never placed faith in Jesus Christ. They come to the white throne judgment and they are judged. This is not the Christians. These are people who never placed faith in Jesus. And they are cast into the lake of fire and brimstone and it's called the second death because they were separated from Christ in hell, they're brought out, white throne judgment, they're cast like a fire, death, second death, meaning separation from God. That's the second death right there. <clears throat> and now the end game. And now we get to where you and I are going to dwell. And I can only spend a minute or two on it, <laughs> but it's going to be amazing. That's point four, and that's this. A new heaven and earth are created. Oh, my, oh, my. Revelation 21, 1 and 2 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Okay. When it says a new heaven, new earth, it's the idea of freshness, not existence. We know it's all going to burn up. We know Peter talks about that. But it's going to be all made fresh. In other words, it means like a better one. Now, we've seen, some of us have seen some of the most beautiful places on earth. It doesn't compare to what we're going to have here. There's a city going to come down. And verse 16 of Revelation 21, you'll see it there. It's the New Jerusalem. Its size is described as 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long. It's a 1,500-mile cube. I'm not the mathematician to do the math, but people have done it. That means in that city, and this is just a city. This is not earth, just a city. This city comes down, either plants on earth or hovers right above it. There are three billion square miles of space in that city. Three billion. Let me do some more math. If three billion people gave their life to Christ and became followers of Christ throughout history, that gives every person just in the city, just where they dwell, one square mile of space. Whatever you didn't get on earth in this life, whatever didn't happen for you, and I don't think anybody I'm talking to out there has one square mile of space in a beautiful city made by God. Your husband your groom, Jesus Christ, O oh bride, church, 
He's got that waiting for you. The walls are described as looks like diamonds. The streets are described as gold. Now think about that. Gold with diamonds. That's a picture of a wedding ring, isn't it? That our groom finally brings the bride of Christ in to where we're going to dwell. And don't think we're going to be just in that place. We'll have access to the universe. To the universe. We'll have the same body as Jesus. He could ascend. He could move up in the clouds and back. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Okay. In eternity, Christians, one of the verses says, there will no longer be any death, no longer be any mourning, meaning pain, mourning, no crying, no pain. Can you imagine? You know what that means? That means every loss, every hurt, every pain, everything that anyone's ever done to us, any disappointment, something that never happened, any hope unfulfilled, washed away. Washed away. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that? And I want to finish the entire series with something Paul said. Paul was a scholar who hated Christians. His job was murder Christians. And then he has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ, and it changes everything. He says this in Romans 8, 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Did you hear that? Everything we've gone through in this world, all the disappointment, all the pain, all the hurts, any broken promises, all the persecution, the trials, as bad as they were, doesn't even compare. Doesn't compare with the glory, with the eternity that God has waiting for us. I like that. I like that a lot. Who wouldn't want this? You're sitting out there today, wherever you're at, if you're watching it on your phone, TV, car, home, wherever you're at, if you're not a follower of Christ, who wouldn't want this? I'm going to give you an opportunity to place your faith in Jesus. Or maybe you backslid. Maybe you walked away from Christ. Come on, it's time to come back. It's time to get your life right. So if you've never placed your faith in Jesus ever, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. 
Or if you backslid, I'm going to give you the best opportunity of your life. Come back to Christ. This past week, about four or five days ago, I celebrated my 41st year of being a follower of Christ. I've never regretted a second. Never. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to put your faith in Him. So, how do you do that? In the New Testament, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. So you confess with your mouth and as you're confessing, you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ came, God in the flesh, died on that cross, was buried, three days later, rose from the dead. Our entire faith rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's plenty of evidence that it's a fact. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer for you to confess. And as you say it, I want you to believe in Jesus as your God, Savior, Lord, the only God, the one who died for you, the one who shed his blood to forgive you of your sins. So here we go. I'm going to say it in blocks. I'm going to say it slow. Say it out loud. If you're with family or friends, you feel awkward, say it in your head. But afterwards, you need to tell somebody that you said that prayer. You cannot be a secret Christian. Here we go. Repeat after me. Jesus, forgive me my sins. I know I'm forgiven. Today I place my faith in you. I make you my Messiah, my Lord, my Savior. I choose today to become a follower of Christ. Thank you for saving me. Now let me pray for you out there. I want you to close your eyes now, wherever you're at. Bow your head. Let's pray. God, you saw the hearts. You know who put faith in you because you know all things. As they've passed from death into life, from darkness into light, Lord, now I pray begins a process of growing in you learning about you, living like you lived, worshiping you, turning away from sin now that they have the Spirit of God living in them. In this time right now where we're disconnected from people, you have family and friends who are Christians. Ask them, I got to get a Bible. Get a simple translation. Ask them, point you where to start reading. If, if you don't know, read in the New Testament. Just stay in the New Testament, the Gospels. Read about Jesus for about six months over and over again. It will not get old because the Spirit of God in you will bring it to light. You need a steady dose of the truth of that Bible for the rest of your life. But I want you to know that God loves you and every sin has been forgiven in your life. And now, if you stumble in sin, right where you're at, just say, God, forgive me. You don't have to go to a man. 
You don't have to do all kinds of good works to feel like you're forgiven. It's a done deal. You're under the blood. And now you live for God. Tell others about Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, for this day. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, Amen and Amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.